If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host. And this week, I want you to meet Todd Olson, co-founder and CEO of Pendo, which provides software that makes software better. A three-time entrepreneur, Todd teamed up with fellow product leaders and technologists from Red Hat, Cisco, and Google to launch Pendo in October of 2013. The Raleigh, North Carolina-based company has since raised $356 million in venture capital, landed more than 2,300 customers, and employs almost 1,000 people across eight offices around the globe. In 2021, Pendo landed on the Forbes Cloud 100 and Inc. Best Places to Work list for the fourth year in a row. Todd's passion for helping digital teams build great products led him to write his first book, The Product-Led Organization, Drive Growth by Putting Product at the Center of Your Customer Experience, which was published in September of 2020. And with that, I want to welcome Todd. First of all, Todd, I'm, I'm really, I was super excited prepping for this podcast because there are so few people that I know in this world who have innovated as much as you have in product. So let's just start with the basics. In your own words, what is Pendo? Where did the idea come from? And for people who maybe haven't used the tool, can you give people a sense of what it is? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words, Alexa. Um, In a nutshell, the concept behind Pendo and our mission is all around elevating the world's experiences with software. And we think about how software affects so much of our lives, both with the brands we engage with to run our lives, you know, our banks, healthcare, you name it, to the software we use at work. Most of us sit in front of a computer and use software all day long. And it's paramount that these software experiences actually are pleasant to use and deliver value. And that that's kind of the fundamental thesis behind Pendo. Pendo actually is Latin for the word value. And, and the, the vision was is that we need to make sure that the, the builders, the creators of the software is connecting with users and making sure the users get what they want and are, and are efficient in using it. So to do that, we have a suite or platform of products that includes really rich product analytics, We can instrument products instantly and deliver aggregate insights to product teams. We have the ability to uh, communicate with users in app, everything from guided tours. Really, it's all about driving behavior within products. We have the ability to do voice of the customer and qualitative feedback. So it's these combined solutions help companies deliver a better customer experience. So I read that when you came up with the idea of Pendo, you sort of sat on it for a little while. Talk us through the sort of aha moment that really got this out the door. Yeah, so look, my prior role to starting Pendo, I was the head of product for a software service company. And I had tried to um, build homegrown tools to solve some of these problems. So I lived the pain firsthand. And when I say try, I mean, I certainly was relatively successful, but it was a lot harder of a problem than I thought. So when I left that company, I knew I'd start something else. I'm generally 100% in most things that I do. So when I was at my prior roles, thinking 100% about that, the first day after 
when I was sitting on my couch and I think my kids had to go to school. So I had some free time. I was thinking about what I wanted to do next and literally it came to my head. I was like, huh. And so I, I actually wrote down all the notes and I got some ideas. And then I got this, then I realized that, wow, like I can't jump into something too fast. Like it's literally my first day of not working at a previous job. I, I need to like take more time. So I explored a few other ideas. Um, I even like prototyped a few ideas over the summer. So, and I invest a lot in, you know, once my kids are out of school, you know, spending time with them and kind of like reinvesting in my family. Tell us the customer experience, that chief product officer out there. What happens when you turn on Pendo? Try to give us as much of a visual of what the product really does. And again, people are beyond obsessed with the product. I want to try to make sure everybody listening can understand what it does. What's cool about the product is that it, it almost instantly provides significant value. And that's part of the magic of it, I think. So, okay, so we go step back, sign up, it, you get to the install screen, and all you need to do is cut and paste this, this little snippet of code, so to speak, into an application. Kind of think of it as something that resides in every page of your app. Once that's put in your product, live to your users, we immediately will have everything happening across every single page in your product. Like with no extra work, you can like slice and dice. You can look at what users are doing what. You can look at what pages, what features on what pages. So within minutes, you're going to have a complete 100% visibility of what's happening inside your product. Then once you start learning, you can immediately start creating messages to users. So maybe you, maybe you want to create a really nice onboarding flow where a user's coming in, they're greeted. You can kind of show them around the product, kind of help them get to some of the aha moments. You can go on our product and in a very easy drag and drop UI, create a message, create an onboarding flow, and then hit a button. And then boom, like immediately every single user that you target will see it. And that's kind of the magic of it. We've had to add workflow and process in place because it is literally so fast and so efficient to get messages out to users. And so if you think about it, in the past, if you want to do this yourself, you probably have to have your engineers instrument something to collect data and you have to wait to the engineers, you know, do a build. You, If you want to message out the engineers to create it, design it, like all of that time gets shrunk down when you're doing Pendo. It's, it's, it's really empowering for teams. One of the things that I find so fascinating about you know what you built is, is you work with major, major companies, Salesforce, Zendesk, Toast, just to name a few. How did you think about go to market from the early days? I think right now, you know, Todd, there's many, many companies out there being born trying to really understand the muscle of go to market. And it's still this big black box. Can you decode a little bit of how you thought about getting your product into the hands of as many customers as possible? Yeah, look in the early days, I think like many companies, and you know, we started in a co-working space and a little scrappy startup. And I was like, okay, we're just gonna put it out on the internet, have a sign-up flow, and we'll use product-led growth. Put it out there, people will come. And um, you know, we weren't seeing the traction we wanted. So I realized that we probably had to take a slightly different approach. And you know, we went as a team, and I think one of the very early insights was that most of my career I had spent selling to larger enterprises. And larger enterprises aren't just going like to magically go to your website and necessarily sign up. I mean, they may do that, but you need a lot more brand recognition and a lot more marketing to do that. So we started, or I started, I should say, started doing outbound sales. You know, and it was a mix of leveraging social networks, leveraging venture capitalists. So if I met with a venture capitalist, I would ask each VC for two to three intros to a portfolio company. That was 
actually pretty successful for a while. If I'm going to every, if I meet with multiple investors a week and get two, three intros a week, it adds up. And then I would personally reach out and talk to their head of product and share our vision. And that's how a lot of our early growth happened. So I think, I think the move up market was probably one of the biggest drivers um, in our success and not being afraid to actually try to sell it and building out a sales team. So, so I think other thing we invested heavily in was this concept of community and building brand within community. And there are these unconferences called product camps, which occur on weekends. So there's Saturdays in different cities. So we would fly to a city on uh, Friday try to get as many meetings as we can. And then we would do the product camp on a Saturday and fly home on Sundays. And I did a lot of these, like a lot, you know, and sometimes I'd make vacations. I'd bring my wife, she'd man the table while I would go do like a speaking engagement. You know, I think it was just this very scrappy way and a very inexpensive way to get in front of a lot of product managers and tell our story. And that was a lot of the drivers of early growth of the company as well, just getting in front of people and sharing our story. Can you talk a little bit about your values or your rules for you know, putting product at the center of your customer experience? And just everybody wants to do it. Not every CEO is actually you know, a product-led CEO. What are the things that are your pillars or your values that people should know? At the end of the day, I mean, you have to really obsess over the product experience and, and, what, and it's got to be good. You know, So like, like a good example is we're talking about freemium products. A lot of companies... Um, are so scared that they're going to cannibalize their business, they end up shipping a crappy experience. <laughs> it's like this whole concept of crippleware where they put in so many gates, so many paywalls. I mean, like that's not a good experience. Like how many times do any of us go to some site and they get like slammed with a paywall while we're reading something and you're like, really? Like that's not a good experience. That's what we want to go back to that site. So I think we, we try to obsess over making sure the user really does get value and it's a great product, even if it's free. Because uh, yes, I know people aren't getting money from it, but if it's a bad experience, it's never gonna lead to any positive momentum for your brand or for your company. So I think we just really obsess over, are people getting value? Uh, are people coming back? So we look at a lot of metrics. Like if we ship something and people aren't using it, then we continue working on it to kind of figure out why they're not using it and how we can innovate to deliver the value that it was originally intended to do. So I think that's actually probably one area that I'm very focused on. Like most companies ship something and they move on to the next thing. We ship something and then we obsess over people using it. And then when we achieve that threshold, then we move on to the next thing. So, so there's a, a lot of focus here on making sure that whatever we do, you know, actually delivers on what the, we intended to to the customer. If there's one mistake that you think founders often make around product or, or any just like quick other tips that you have, what are those? Some companies don't separate a product function and an engineering function. And I do fundamentally believe that companies should have chief product officers or heads of product. It depends on their size and scale. They report directly to the CEO. And that individual should be different from the individual focusing on engineering or technology. I sometimes see people try to combine that into a single role. And I think that's incredibly hard 
and honestly, almost unfair to that executive that has to do both. When I'm talking to entrepreneurs or, or other CEOs, I'll, I'll, my first question often will be, well, what's your vision for a chief product officer? And is that report directly to a CEO? And, and is it separate and distinct from engineering? Because you want someone thinking about the market. You want someone driving the business forward. You want somebody obsessing over the user and the customer experience. And that's maybe different than... How do I build something that scales and is performant and things like that? It's a different set of skills, problem areas. I think not separate at all, I guess, is one of the things I see most often. Last two questions on your business. COVID was actually a pretty powerful accelerant for you guys. Can you unpack that a little bit? What was driving that through COVID, do you think? And did you expect that? Since we're so focused on helping experiences with software, COVID accelerated the creation of more software experiences. They're just more digital experiences post-COVID than we're pre-COVID. And you know, I was talking to a prospect early in COVID and they, they do medical coding. They actually train people to do medical coding. So they have physical storefronts where you go in, you learn how to do this, you take some tests, you get certified, et cetera, et cetera. And they said they were always planning on doing a virtual online component. But then it went from, they had a year to do it to they had three months to do it because it became a critical, mission critical to the business because like no one's going in these physical you know, stores anymore. So I think that's the type of stories that we saw in spades during COVID is that things that, oh, we have 12 months to do it. They no longer had 12 months, they had three months. And then now that company went from being someone that focused more on, on, on physical edifices to became a software company. So they hired had to hire product people. They had to transform their culture. They had to think differently about what the customer experience was like. And, and they needed a partner like Pendo to kind of help, help them through that transition. And I think we saw a lot of that in, in COVID. And, and yes, COVID has been an accelerant. But I think it's going to be an even longer term accelerant for us, you know, and, and I think a Pendo is different than say like a Zoom or a Slack, like the collaboration companies or Peloton is another great example. Like we, we saw a lot of companies have a very fast spike of growth due to COVID. Ours has been a steady climb, less like this giant spike, more like a long-term accelerant to our business. And I think- Last question, as somebody who just, is so uniquely focused on the product org and developing software to empower that brain of a business. If you fast forward five or 10 years, when you have your wild ideas, what are the things that maybe um, are predictions that you see coming or anything that feels like an obvious trend line that maybe everybody around you hasn't thought of or, or, or doesn't have the perch that you have to think of. But what are your predictions for the category over the next five to 10 years? Look, I think within product, I think that the biggest area of interest is how product affects the rest of the organization and, and how every function gets disrupted by product-led motions. And I, and I think people talk about product-led growth all the time, which is how do I acquire and convert new customers? I think People don't talk as much about the post-sale customer journey with respect to product-led techniques. And that's, I think, the area that, that's going to have the most disruption. You know, So how do I retain a customer or renew a customer, expand a customer in product-led fashions? I think, I think this whole concept of the post-sale customer journey uh, and product's effect on it, that to me is, is I think we still have a lot, of, a lot of innovation to go there. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. 
That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Todd, I want to transition a little bit to you. There's so many fascinating things about you, you and your background, starting with your proficient coder by age 14 um, and actually worked as a developer for your teenage years. Did you know you were really entrepreneurial? Like, how would you verbalize that early knowledge of who you are and this sort of unlocked potential? No, I mean, I was one of these kids that, that thought he had his whole life planned out. So I was working in a bank, credit card bank, and I had a great reputation there and I was successful there. And, and I you know, saw senior executives there and I wanted to be one. And I just assumed that was my path. I worked my way up eventually, you know, you know to management, leadership, you know, white picket fence, you name it, you know, uh, you know, I had this like total vision for my life. And, you know, it wasn't until kind of my junior year of college where I met the co-founder of my first company, where I realized how fun entrepreneurs, you know, starting companies were essentially and and how connected I felt to, to that, you know, and, and the, the crazy thing is that, you know, whereas originally I envisioned like working my way up slowly, like immediately like you're in charge. <laughs> so you go from like, never having managed a person to immediately managing and hiring a bunch of people in a startup. And it's thrilling. I, I think the other piece of it, once I started doing it, this whole concept of in the early days of a company, you're a little bit of a jack of all trades. And I love that, that piece of it where you get to do a little bit of everything. I mean, it's just a lot of fun and it's fun. It's uh, like, look at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of us are looking for, for jobs that don't feel like jobs. Like, and honestly, being an entrepreneur has never felt like a job to me. It's always just felt like sort of an identity and, and it's my life. So I, I love doing it. One of the things I really like about you is your first startup, Cerebellum, shut down during the dot-com bus. And you have this great sentence. You said that Cerebellum actually made you more optimistic about your potential. Tell us about that. What does it mean? And also, what did that experience give you as you thought about Pendo? Well, look, I mean... I look for context. I was like 24, 25 around this time. So I was like super young and we had an exit on the table and I kind of assumed it was going to happen. I mean, I wouldn't say it was like already spending the money or anything like that, but I, I, I thought it was pretty far down the path. It was a done deal in my mind. And then it fell apart. And, you know, aside from the general like sadness around something falling apart and we had to, I had to lay off a bunch of people, which is never really a fun thing. I realized that if I had gotten that close that sort of exit or level of success at 24, 25, that, oh, I can do this again. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I was so young. I was like, look, if you could do this by this time, like, of course I can do it again. Like I, like I got my whole life ahead of me. It was kind of like my, my thesis at the time. Now the flip side of that is now at my age, I'm 46 now. And I, I kind of finally reached a level of success that, you know, I feel proud of what we've accomplished. And it's taken me, you know, what, 22 years to do it. Now I really appreciate what I have. So the flip side of that is, yeah, I knew I could do it, but I've been chasing it for 22 years. <laughs> so, so, and, I, and I've had successes along the way, but not, certainly not this level of success. And I, this isn't, you know, I did sell my last company. I you know, took my last company with public. So like I've, I've, I've had other successes, but 
you know, I, I, I've been kind of chasing this. So now I'm, I'm much more appreciative of what I have than I would have when I was younger. I, I, and when I was younger, I probably didn't realize how good I probably had it. And now I, I do really, I do realize it. And that's, look, that's a benefit of wisdom and experience, right? Is that you gain more appreciation for things. Todd, one of the things that I think is exceptional about you is that you're a founder, a uh, father of four. I'm sitting here. I have three little kids and it's a lot. What are your tricks? What are like the one or two habits that you have that just like cuts through the noise that like helps you keep the train on the track? What are they? Pay for it to everybody. Actually five. My wife's pregnant. So we're going to be up to six here in, in a few months. So. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's even crazier. Congratulations. <laughs> I think you, you have to have, you have to have a, a lot of conversations with your family and partner about what's important to them. And um, you need to have some boundaries like anything else. You know, I mean, the reality is an entrepreneur, you're never not working. You're never not working. Like, like even if I'm not at work, or like actively like on a call, my brain's thinking about something going on in the business and it's impossible to turn my brain off. So you're always sort of working, but I try to have a few rules. Like I'm a big, big, big dinner with the family person. I just believe, you know, and that's something that my parents were really big on when I was a kid. So I actively try to have dinner with my family as often as I can. And look, probably not five days a week. I, I this week is a good example of two dinners out with executives in a row. So, but tonight it's a priority to be home with my family to have dinner. And that means I need to be home at a like normal time. I've got a three-year-old. So like, we're not going to eat at like eight o'clock, you know, we're going to eat at six or six 30. So I have to craft my schedule around this. But what does that mean? I mean, it means I run back to back throughout the day. I have no breaks. I eat lunch over a meeting. I'm very efficient with my time. I will often do uh, some calls after my kids go to bed with say like Asia pack or other things. Look, I, I like to work out every day. I'm a better person and I'm a better executive when I work out every day. So that means I don't start my day much before 9am. So I get a chance to get a workout in, you know, at, at 637 and still help out a little bit, you know, to get my kind of kids off to work. So I think, like having discipline around schedule is something that to me is by far the most important thing. Um, I travel very rarely ever travel on a weekend. I don't I just think weekends have to be protected a little bit or things get completely out of control. Uh, but it also means like I don't sightsee. Like yeah, people think it's glamorous when you go to all these different cities and people ask me if I saw Big Ben when I was in London last week. No, I did not see Big Ben. I worked no, from, yeah, like, from nine to eleven every day with no breaks. Like like there was no sightseeing. You know, I feel like I have a responsibility to my family if I'm working or I'm away from the home that I need to be working. So like that's, that's kind of how I do it. The other thing is we try to incorporate family into the company. So this is something that maybe is unique to Pendo, but I often have people over my house for dinner or for drinks, like often. Since the company was small, we would have investors or partners or customers. I They come over, I cook. I, I, I don't cook as much as I used to, but, but I will often cook for them. You know, grill out, something like that. So really passionate on that. We, we had our sales club trip a few weeks ago. I brought all of my kids to sales club. It was a family-friendly event. Our CRO did as well. And this connects them to the success of the business. Um, and, it, and, and look, so they also get to benefit and like experience it. And like, because of the whole, the whole sales thing, they'll ask me like, dad, how are we doing this quarter? Like, are we on track to hit our numbers? Like the older ones do. 
they're asking me, what percentages are we at? Are we going to get to go to the club next year? And I was like, well, we'll see. And <laughs> so it's like those comments, which get them really, really integrated in the success of the company. I want to ask one last question on you before we move on to a quick fire round, which is, was there something that your parents did that you attribute to making you special? And you don't have to think you're special, but you factually are. But was there something that your parents did that you just really, it like left a real dent in a good way? They won't probably agree with me on this, but I think they were really hard on me, like kept raising the bar. Like I never felt like I was quite satisfying them. And but but it just it really motivated me. Like I worked my tail off to try to make them happy. And like if I got a B, is like it wasn't like, oh, congratulations, a B. Like, why wasn't it an A plus? You know, and I, I think that attitude of raising the bar pushes me. I, I always want a little bit more. Like, even when I get something, it's like. I'm not quite satisfied, <laughs> which is I think a dangerous behavior, but I, it, it just pushes. I, 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 so I think they found a way to unlock this self-motivation that I think has really helped. Todd, I'm going to ask a few quick questions. I want to hear the first thing that comes to your mind. What gets out of bed every day? Winning. I want to win. Oh, I love that. Favorite book that you come back to time and time again? Doesn't have to be a business book. Just any book that you attribute to sort of really impacting your life in a powerful way. I think good to great. It's just an awesome book. You're a soulful guy, I can tell. Is there an interview question? Is there something you like to ask people that you feel like gets to the heart of who they are to decide whether or not they should join you on whatever mission you're on, Pendo, et cetera? Yeah, my favorite interview question is, in four years, why are you still here? And what do you, what would you like to have accomplished? Uh, my goal there is to, one, check in, are they going to be here for four years? Because we want people that like have an attitude if they want to be here for at least four years. Um, and then I want to hear how they consider their growth and what they're going to be doing. So that, that, that's kind of my favorite. I literally am stealing that one. I like that so much. Um, what has been your biggest pinch me moment to date at Pendo? The like day where you came home to your family and said, oh my God, I just can't believe we did this thing. What was it? It's around hitting the hitting our quarterly, the next quarterly threshold. So like we, we crossed a hundred million in ARR and announced it uh, last February or last, sorry, last June. That, that was probably the pinch moment. Like I, I always said, we got to get to a hundred ARR and like blow past it, you know, on a, like a rocket ship of a quarter felt really, really good. So. Uh, last quick questions here. Um, if we fast forward two years from today, how many days a week do people go to offices? I hope five, but I probably more likely three. And then last question, any other thing that you've learned about that has nothing to do with Pendo, it can be a product, a service, a software, a startup that you're pretty excited about that like really intrigued you. What is it? I like everything kind of product led. And there's this company, there's a couple of them, like Reprise, Toriel. It's this whole space around guided tours. It's like, it's like a light version of product led marketing, but it's it's pretty cool. And it's, it's like a new lead gen source, at least for us on our companies, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting product led motion. That's awesome. Todd, this has been a, a real joy. I'm not only so impressed of your like serial nature of entrepreneurship, your positive attitude, five kids with uh, six on the way. You just bring such a lightness to what you do uh, that is really contagious. So this has been a real delight. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more, I want you to check out pendo.io if you're not already using the software you need to. And you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alex Von Topol. And I just want to say thank you to you, Todd. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Alex. It was fun.